You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. This week we have with us Pastor Darren Enns. How you doing, sir? Hey, everybody. Doing good. Pastor Drew Tarwater, how you doing, sir? What's up, fellas? And I'm Rob Lazzi, recovering from my Swifty hangover. Or I should call, should call it an empathetic oh. Swifty hangover, because I didn't go, but my wife went. And so mm. then when your wife's tired, you're tired. I don't know how that works. Yeah. I mean, Taylor Swift was all the rave in Denver this weekend. So I'm glad you got to have a, you know, a little piece of that. Yeah, no, so she had fun. So right now, she has the excuse that she can't hear me because her ears are still ringing. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, nice. Drew, can you recap what uh, you talked about this weekend? Yeah, can you believe it, guys? We basically wrapped up the book of Acts this last Sunday. So if, if you're following along with us as our listener or uh, near or far, you know, we started in the book of Genesis back in January of 22. And here we are recording this on July 17th, 2023. And I know many of you doubted us. You didn't think we could do it, but here we are. <laughs> we made it through the book of Acts. So uh, we've got uh, we've the book got of Revelation, Revelation to go. still coming up. I know, but yeah. I'm just a little <laughs> back pat here. <laughs> but we uh, looked at uh, the last section of the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. And then God providentially weaves Paul's story uh, to get Paul to Rome in front of Caesar. Now, we don't know if Paul actually spoke to Caesar or not, but we know he spends two years under house arrest in Rome. And what we see, though, is this really cool story of how Paul gets arrested, and then he gets to share his testimony with uh, a, a group of you know, the religious Jews who hated him, then to the council, the, the, basically the Sanhedrin, then to the governor, Felix, then to the new governor, Festus, then to the king, Agrippa, and then to all of these shipmen on a ship to Malta and to Rome and then to the Roman guard in Rome. So God providentially used Paul to share the gospel with leaders all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. Pretty awesome story about how the gospel sprang forth through the way God moved. So it's like, we kind of have a cliffhanger at the end of the book of Acts. We don't know what happens to Paul yet, but really cool how God moves in and through Paul's situation. So can you, a question when, like with house rest in the culture of the day, like when I think of, if someone told me like, hey Rob, you can't leave your house for a while, I'd be like, awesome, thank you, I appreciate it. Like, I don't want to leave anyway. And so, but what is it? <laughs> Like I got what, what what does it look like in Paul's day of being under house arrest? Is it like is he just sitting there and, and putting up Netflix and putting his feet up like all right I'm stuck here? It's like I wanted to watch that Jack Ryan series anyway. No, he had to, yeah he had to get season three of Jack Ryan in. Yeah. Darren's shaking his head at you, us you like I can't believe he went there. I don't know. 
But you're my you're <laughs> we, my historian we, contextual person, Darren. So I need your input on this. Right. Like, what was it like for him, probably, in this time? Like, what's it look like to be under house arrest? So the the prison system in, in the United States currently um, it is funded so that you can survive without help from the outside. So when you're in prison now, you you have places to say you have food brought to you. Uh, or made for you. And, and that's not the case in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. When you're in prison in the ancient world, you you were essentially stuck and other people had to take care of you. Um, and so Paul, I, I'm, Drew might have to chime in with specifically Paul's situation under house arrest, but in, in prison, you had to have people come and take care of you. You had to have people bring food. Um, there's, there's a verse that Drew read somewhere here in Acts 20-something um, that... Uh, he he did it un, under his own at his own expense. Yeah, Acts twenty eight verse thirty. Yeah, twenty eight thirty. So it, it, Paul Paul is staying under house arrest at his own expense. Um, can he make? Can he do do his business and, and make tents while he's under house arrest? I'm not sure. He definitely couldn't do that in prison. But house arrest might be a slightly different thing. Yeah, I think the idea was that the church in Rome, the Christians would bring him food. They basically paid for everything he needed. So you know they paid for his Netflix subscription. You know, but basically they would pay for food, water, for writing utensils, you know, for, you know, Paul would later write um, in the book of Philippians to Timothy about having his writing utensils brought to him and his cloak. So, I mean, you know, they weren't giving him any kind of a uniform. That was something that the church provided. Uh, But Paul did have some kind of freedom. People could come, he could talk, welcome them, probably spend time. We obviously know that Paul wrote several letters while under house arrest. So I I do think he had a, a certain level of freedom, but he had to foot the bill for everything. Otherwise he would have basically shriveled and starved to death, starved to death. No, that, that's interesting to think about, just like the differences and what was going on there. Then, and so then, how did he use like his platform there to help spread the gospel? What, did it open up doors the way he was doing things? He had a lot of time to write letters. He wrote um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and and also likely Philemon, all while he was in house arrest there. So he was he was definitely not uh, idle. Mm-hmm. So. Like if you think about it, like when when you're sick, you have a lot of time to catch up on movies. You're not doing anything, or when you're, you know, if if you're out of work for a season, hopefully you're looking for a job. But but you also you just have a lot of time to kill. Uh, so he he was definitely active. Yeah, it's thought that Paul. You know, there's a little bit of a variation based on scholarship. It's thought that Paul either uh, was in prison from 58 to 60. A.D. or 60 to 62 A.D. And that his imprisonment there, you know, he's speaking boldly for the gospel. He's writing these letters. He's connecting with leaders of the church and doing these different kinds of things. And then Paul gets released. So we know from church tradition that Paul died in Rome. Um, But what we don't know is the period of time between Paul's release from this house arrest and then when he gets rearrested and loses his life. Um, if you saw that movie that came out a couple years ago called Paul, it showed him in this dungeon-type prison. And so what we kind of 
put together is that Paul gets rearrested later. He ends up getting put in this prison where you have to enter fr- through the floor. So you're basically in, in kind of a underneath kind of cavernous huh. type prison. And that's where he wrote the book of Second Timothy which was the last one, uh, many scholars think, before Paul lost his life. Uh, but what we see in this period is this is a really highly productive period for Paul as, you know, again, in God's providence, he puts Paul in a place where he can write these really impactful letters to these churches that he helped plant just a few years before. What I think of when, I, when you guys are telling me this with Paul and his writing in prison I can only imagine all he's doing is uh, travels and walking, going, oh, God, I just need more time to write. If you could help me find more time to write, I need to reach out to these people. I just can't. I, I need to write more letters. Can you help me find more time to write? <laughs> so here's an interesting anecdote. If you've never read all of Colossians at the very end, uh, Colossians 4.16, it says, After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. So regardless of, like, Paul apparently wrote more letters that we don't have, but we don't have the the le- letter of, of the Laodiceans. Um, well, I wish we, we did, but we don't for whatever reason. And <clears throat> this, this helps us understand that some of these letters were probably what we call circular letters. They're meant to be distributed around several different churches in the same region. Uh, a lot of scholars think Ephesians was one of these. Um, some scholars don't even think that Paul wrote... Ephesians, but it w- it was written like in his name, in his honor. Um, I I think that there's good reasons to think that he did, and yet Ephesians was still also likely a circular letter that these letters got got passed around. Um, just like it, and pretty soon here when we get to Revelation, uh, we're going to see Revelation has letters to seven churches in them. Um, were there seven copies made, and then those letters were distributed to those seven churches, or was one letter read? in a circle, because if you look mm. at a map where those are, it's very easy how, how that letter could be taken from place to place. So, so yes, he, he wanted more time, but these letters sor- served multiple congregations all at once. No, it's interesting to think about. And then how did it, Paul's uh, missionary journey, like, like get inroads into the local cultures? Like, how did, how did he help? Like, does it, obviously we've talked about the differences between like Jews and Greeks over the time and the differences they had on what you had to do to be a Christian and like what, you know, did like what we talked a few episodes back about like circumcision and things like that. Like how did he use culture to make inroads? If you look at Paul's journeys, especially um, his trip to Athens, we talked about last week, you do see that Paul is always looking for bridges you know, Paul was really good at contextualizing things. And so he, he would come into a town and, you know, he would notice that, especially in Greek areas, he would notice the Greek gods that they worshipped. And he would often use that as a launch pad to talk to about about Jesus. And so in Athens, he says, hey, you guys are have, having a statue to an unknown God. Let me tell you about that unknown God. And, and so you have to think that Paul would continually do that in other cities. Now, Paul would run into trouble because he would, you know, we, we know that he heal in Philippi, he heals the girl that, um, 
you know, was basically a, a slave and would cause issues and, and, you know, Paul would get stoned and persecuted and all these other things. But we don't ever really necessarily see that Paul goes in and just tells them, hey, you guys are completely wrong. You're all, you know, going to burn someday unless you turn right now and hit them over the head with a brick and mortar. Instead, Paul basically says, hey, guys, let me tell you the one that the Bible was, has told us about the one that the old Testament was pointing to. And he builds a bridge that he can help share Jesus with them. Yeah. This is a really big question for anyone who wants to go to another culture and, and become, you know, one of the first missionaries in in that, in that culture. Um, Even as we think about how are we going to reach our own culture here in the United States? Um, and, and I think this is something that Tim Keller mentioned in a book. He has a book called Center, uh, which is his kind of philosophy of ministry. Like if you go through this as a church, you'll, you'll come up with your own way to do things. And his, one of his main questions um, centers around what is redeemable within a culture? Mm. What can you find that, that they are doing that fits into what the Christian ideal of ethics and morality and, and worship of God is? And then you, you use that. And you you bring it in, and you know, kind of give give your culture a bone, as it were. Then you you really need to find what things are actually incompatible, and we see this at work in the book book of Acts. We've talked about this a lot. The things that are not redeemable in 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 Greek culture is is worshiping other idols, um, often eating meat sacrificed to idols, or or committing sexual immoral acts in worship of those idols. Those things are incompatible with the Christian ideal of what it means to follow Jesus and worship the true God of the universe. So what is that in our culture? You know, there are definitely things that we've talked about, how a culture of individualism that worships the self, like that, that's, it's incompatible mm-hmm. with, the, with the Christian because we, we have to humble ourselves, get rid of who our old life was and commit to following Jesus and who he says he is and he makes us new. So that there, there's differences there, and and I'm, uh, I read a book recently called uh, "The Next Christendom" by Philip Jenkins. Um, the first edition came out, I think, around like t- the year 2000. There's been two more editions since, um, and it has to be updated because the the face of Christianity on the globe is is changing so fast. Um, when you say within, the face, when you say the face of Christianity, what do you what's Right. So mo- most of the last 500 years of Christian mission has been conducted by Westerners, primarily Northern Europeans. And then once the United States got set up, then the United States. And that is, is very quickly changing. So the United States is still the number one um, exporter of missionaries. However, they are quickly, the United States is quickly becoming a high importer of missionaries from other countries. Hmm. Um, for example, I, I attended an event that was that was began by missionaries from South America to the United States. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, South Korea is, I think, number two or number three in the amount of missionaries sent out to the world. N- now think about the the overall size of South Korea. I don't even know what state it's compared to. It's tiny. Maybe the, the size of Maine or some some Northeast. I, I see you guys Googling it right now. But South Korea has so few people and so little little space as compared to the United States, and they're, yet they're so high in exporting. 51 million. 51 million. Yeah, so similar to the size of Oregon. Yeah. 
So, so if, if you think about that and, and how fast those numbers are changing and growing, the Christian, the, what, what a typical Christian look like is not a white man. The most common Christian is a black woman from Africa. I think when you take the median of Christians, that that's that's the most common um, type of person. So, um, and and along with that, it's hard for for us to look at Christianity in those cultures as Westerners from the United States and, and think that they've got it right because we have our way of doing things here and they have their way of doing things there. But is circumcision a mark of following Jesus? Some people thought so in the first century. So it, how, how do we apply that to when we go and look at other cultures? I think the cultural piece is, is huge and it has to be taken into consideration. You know, we think about much of the shift that modern missions has made to other countries, uh, especially, you know, some of the countries in, in Africa, Asia, India, especially those areas that are highly Muslim. You'll notice that no longer are they sending in the, the person with the white face, as you mentioned, Darren, mm-hmm. you know, they are raising up natives because those natives know the culture. And often when you send in a missionary family who are Americans to these areas, the, the learning curve is so steep. You know, they've got to learn a language. They need to learn the culture. And it just causes there to be this really long runway, which in many cases can, can be great. But there is something to be said about Someone who understands the culture, who, who can walk in and speak it. And that was what was impactful, I think, for the Apostle Paul. He was a Jewish, but he also was a Greek citizen, a Roman citizen uh, by birth. So Paul could walk into a Roman city and, or, or a Greek area that worships Greek gods, and he had an understanding of the culture. He could walk into a Jewish town and be able to speak their language as well. And I think because Paul had that understanding and that skill, it built bridges because he knew how to be able to speak to people. And I, and I think that makes sense for us, you know, as we talk about people who live in our neighborhoods or who work in the same workplaces as us, do we understand the culture they live in, the things that they are into so that we can use those as bridges to speak about Jesus? What would you consider like a litmus test when you are even involving in a more local, local different cultures? Because if there's one thing that's great about the United States is like from the East Coast to the West Coast, there's multiple subcultures in each area, you know, where something may work in Colorado, it's not going to work in Kansas and, you know, and likewise in other places. So well, like, what's, how do you discern the difference between going, Hey, this is a Christianity I grew up on. That's got some great traditions, but it's not, uh, it's a, it's a tradition. We'll call it when it's like, it's good. It may not be, but it doesn't necessary for a Christian walk. Versus, you know, how do you discern the difference between, hey, this is in their culture and it's okay, and this is my culture, it's okay, but like, how do you, how do you tell the difference? Like, how do you, what's a good, like, I usually go like, hey, you go back to the Bible. What's the Bible say? But like, how, what would you guys, if something came up, you're going, hey, this is a, you know, how would you discern the difference? I'll take a stab at this one first, Darren, and then I want you to jump in. You know, I think. It is depending upon the um, the culture around you. It, when it comes to the 
cultural Christianity levels. And here's what I mean. So if you're in, say, Texas, or you're in Florida, or Alabama, or even Missouri, or Kansas, where Darren and I grew up, there is a cultural Christianity that exists. And so typically what you do when you first talk to someone who kind of grew up in a Christian culture is you have to get over that hurdle where basically they say they go to church, but they don't because they feel like they need to say that. Whereas in Colorado, Arizona, other places, you, you, you just, that doesn't exist. And so there is a cultural element there where you have to get to the real Jesus, not this, just this, you know, painting of this Renaissance color painting of Jesus, just this nice guy that you go in and go to church, you know, on Christmas and Easter and you're good with God and it makes you a Christian because you try to be a good person. You have to get over that hurdle in those Christian cultures where you get into, say, Colorado or Arizona, where you see people who are worshiping creation or you have to really help them see what they're worshiping. You go to Sedona, you see people who are going to vortexes or or, or crystal shops. You know, you can use that as the bridge to say, hey, what you are trying to find in these powers is found in Jesus. You're just trying to look for it in the wrong place. So I think those are maybe two little examples about how culture can be different. And, and you know, you go to different parts of America, you know, those are going to be uh, very different. You go to New England and there isn't really, there's no Christian culture. It's a very atheistic culture, uh, but there's a lot of education into, into intellectuals. And so therefore you approach that more intellectually than you would say, um, you know, in certain other areas in the States. I would say generally to, to your point, Drew, um, when we talk about other cultures, I, I think as people people are trying to keep the Bible's morality and detach it from the Bible. So we call this Judeo-Christian values where um, everyone in, in our culture will still think of morality, like it's bad to do this, bad to do this, but it's good to do that. It, it, it is impossible to disconnect those morals that we generally have in our culture from the source which, which was the Bible and those Judeo-Christian values that we have. So just to comment there. But Rob, to clarify your question, are you talking specifically about, like, what's the difference between a Christian culture and actual Christian? Yeah, I, I was thinking with you too, especially with your background, maybe a good way to think about it is like worship music, where it's like, there's how do you define good worship music where it's praising God and leading worship instead of, you know, there's a, also the context in church people, some churches where they get accused of, doing worship entertainment if, where it's mm. like, there's a, there's a, is it culturally different, you know, to have the fog machine and lights? Is that worship or is that entertainment? And is it cultural? Does it in a different context? Is it, you know, is it still pleasing to God? But like, it may not be what your preference, but is it still yeah. pleasing to God? Yeah. I think that if, if something is, is done with an honest, true heart and a desire to be correct, that you're on the right track. Mm. Um, you know, Jesus or uh, God, the prophet Amos, I think he writes like your, your sacrifices are detestable to me um, because you're just doing it because you're doing it. There's no actual worship behind it. So we, we just have to examine our own hearts as we come and do those things. Um, and if you, if you talk about, you know, specifically music, um, is it best to worship God with hymns or with praise music? Do you need to have fogs and lights? or like fog machines and stuff like, well, 
um, you know, when God shows up, there's generally smoke. So a fog machine, I think, is more biblical than we often give it credit for. Um, I'm, we're not going to get a fog machine at Forefront, don't worry. Um, but what? There's, <laughs> there, there's the idea that what if, if you can connect with your culture through this thing and you can redeem it, like, let's do it. Can we redeem rock music? Yes, I think we have. Um, I don't think a, a lot of educated people who, who know about hymns know this, but hymns, a lot of the, the tunes used to be bar tunes. Yeah. And they would take the tune and set different lyrics to it. You're using the, um, the thing that your culture knows and you're redeeming it. Instead of a drunken, crazy song you sing in a bar, you bring it into church and say, whoa, that's cool. I can sing about God, but I know the melody. I, I can sing it. And that's when people didn't know how to read music. Uh, you, you knew the tune and now you have the words. There was actually, I forget which, it was an old blues song that I was listening to. It was just by an artist. I'm like, that sounds really familiar. And it was actually a hymn hmm. that I was like, I actually nice. had to send it to some like worship pastor. I'm like, what is this song? Help me out. And I, I can't That's remember funny. what it is. Like it was Hugh Laurie who sang it, the guy from house. Cause of, ah. But it was one of those words, like a, just a bluesy song. I'm like, I know the music. I couldn't, mm-hmm. the words weren't, wasn't the Christian hymn and the, and the words. So yeah, no, it's interesting to think about like what's in our culture correct and like and how do you discern the difference? And Paul obviously was skillfully mastered in that, going to the Greeks. So how would how would we use that with what we know today to reach our local community? You know, I think and this is we've talked about this before on this podcast, but I think you need to know what you're gonna die for. What are the hills you're gonna die on as people sometimes say, you know, and what are those things that are essential? Because as you try to have these conversations and navigate these discussions with others, you know, there's going to be differences of opinion, there's going to be differences of style, and all of these different things you see can be barriers to having conversations, especially if people do have some church background, one kind or another. And so recognizing what is the most important you know, and at what we would say at Forefront is it's the essentials of who Jesus is. Um, and, and so based on those, how do we engage conversations with our neighbors, whether they are from our culture or not, and to be able to find common ground to have conversations about? You know, typically what happens is people find things to divide over quickly and very easily. But how do we find things to unite over, which can then open the door to future conversations about how God moves in our lives? And I think that's what Paul was really good at, and it's a challenge for us to seek ways to get better ourselves. No, that's interesting to think about. So um, as we wrap this up, as we're running out of time here, any parting words, Pastor Darren Ends? Sure, I'll mention just one other resource that I've read recently. It's called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. These are our, our two gentlemen who, um, who are, are well-versed in Western culture, but also Eastern culture. Hmm. Um, and and they, they, kinda, they take some of parables of Jesus, especially, and they, they give nuanced interpretations based on what other cultures view, that, like the, the lens that other cultures have. What's, um, what's that book called again? Sorry. Misreading Scripture through Western Eyes. So you, you're reading a lot more things. books here once you got done with school, apparently. You're gonna... <laughs> uh, no, not necessarily. More choice reading. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been done with school for like a month and a half. Um, it, it, uh, one of their basic tenets was um, 
was that Eastern cultures, especially outside the U.S., are more collectivistic and they they bring honor and shame to their family by their own decisions. And so they understand that their decision weighs heavily on their family's influence and, and status in in their community, hmm. uh, which is completely different than the United States, than, than our Western culture. Because we, like our decisions, what we do, no, they don't affect my parents. It's like, well, th- they kind of do, but not also not in the same way as other cultures. So just another source to to figure out like how do other cultures read things, what's redeemable in their culture and what, what, how should we be reading scripture slightly differently based on how other cultures interpret it? No, interesting thought. Pastor Drew Tarwater, any parting thoughts? Yeah, I think the, the heart is that seek to understand people and who they are and where they come from. You know, we don't really want to require people to fit inside our little box. Um, you know, God is continually, you know, shaping us and molding us. And so how do we, understand our neighbors, coworkers, you know, the, the people we're going on a mission trip to talk to, how do we understand who they are, where they come from so that we can be able to help them to see the beauty of what God has done for them. No, absolutely. Darren just added, uh, the West, the book on my audible list. Nice. That, yeah, I listened to it on audible. So, so yeah, it's good to listen. But with that, if you have questions, thoughts, concerns, email us, uh, life at forefrontchurch.tv or reach out to us uh, connection box if you're at the service on Sunday. We'd love to hear from you. Ask us questions. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again so much, Pastor Darren Enns. Thank you so much. You betcha. Pastor Drew Tarwater, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. And I'm Rob Blasey. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story. Podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.